Everybody doing good today? Man, isn't it awesome to begin the day with baptism, to see someone go public with their faith. I'm so proud of Sam for uh, following Christ in believers' baptism this morning and letting everybody know, you know what, Christ lives within me. So I'm proud of you, brother. Good, good job. I mean, it's, it's always powerful when someone says, you know what, I want everybody to know that Christ lives within me. We're not supposed to hide our faith. We're supposed to let it literally be out where everybody can see it, that it glorifies our Father who is in heaven. And, and so to see someone take that step, that's a huge step, and it's an important step. And there may be some of you that you've never followed Christ in believer's baptism. Let me tell you, that is a, that's an important step. And whenever we take that step, you know, God gives us another step. And maybe that's to step into a life group and to begin to be around other believers. And, and I know so many people that, you know, have literally, you know, held themselves back because they were like, you know, I don't know if I know anybody in that group. It, it, that's why you join us, to get to know people. But we often meet our best friends in there. We meet uh, friends for a lifetime in those life groups. And I want to encourage you guys to get plugged in. It's not too late. And get plugged into a life group. And so there are steps that we take. And there's times we take steps and it seems like, you know, that step is the right step. And there are times that those steps seems like a setback. And so today we continue our series, Setback or Set Up. And, and I want us to kind of look at a couple of stories that look like they were really not going, you know, it, it looked like this was it, you know. You know, you think back to uh, here in the beginning, the church experience was a setback. We talk about the church. Today we're talking about the early church. And those were the believers, the followers of Christ, you know, that, that had seen, you know, Jesus literally preach this message of hope literally seen him heal people and done, have done all kinds of miracles and stuff. And they also saw him crucified. And so for many Christians, you know, they, you know, the people that believed in Christ, the followers of Christ, they saw him crucified. They saw him impaled with a spear. And you think about for them, this was a setback. And they're thinking our leader is dead. The disciples were in fear. You know, they huddle up in a room out of fear that the Romans might come and do the same to them. And so what seemed like a setback was really God doing something supernatural. We're going to unpack that a little bit more next week. But the thing is, is Jesus would literally overcome death, the grave, and the tomb. And man, he would literally change everything. And he would, he would empower his people. He would empower, empower the church. And, and so we would see that there would be people that would go, you know what, man, this is real. They saw Jesus. Hundreds of people saw him after the resurrection and so there was this, this movement that took place. It was called the way. If you remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so there was this teaching called the way. We call it Christianity today. But it was something that was powerful. And man, it began to move and, and, and it was in, and changing lives. And people were seeing and hearing this message. They wanted to be a part of it. But man, the religious leaders of the day were not for that. And so there was a young man named Stephen, and, young, and this young man named Stephen who was full of the Holy Spirit, who many even said he was much like Christ. And so Stephen gives this account. They, they bring him before him. They're, they're, you know, they're going to they're gonna literally, they want to hear from him. So he gives this account of how God's plan has been unfolded before the Jews and how they had literally missed the Messiah. And so they literally, they, man, they, they come unglued. So he gives this long, if you will, uh, defense and this, if you will, message that they, they hear they don't agree with. So we're going to pick up here in Acts chapter 7 where the leaders were infuriated. So check this out. It says that the Jewish leaders were infuriated 
by Stephen's accusation. And they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, glazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They, they rushed him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with, their, with this sin. And with that, he died. Sounds a lot like Christ, doesn't it? Saul was one of the witnesses as he... And he agreed complete with, completely with the killing of Stephen. So here's, here's Saul. And Saul is this religious young, young leader. He's a Pharisee. He's a, he's a sharp guy. He's passionate. He's, he's aggressive. I mean, he, and he is there because he wants to put down this teaching called the way. This teaching called the gospel. This teaching called Christianity. And so, so Saul is there and he is trying to literally snuff this out. He wants to end this. And so persecution is taking place. And so what we see is, you know, that there's, there's an issue going on here that, that these people are, that this message is spreading and the religious leaders didn't like it. And they're going to, you know, we're going to end this. But it was changing lives. So Saul was one of the witnesses. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees, saying, Lord, don't charge them with the sin. And with that, he died. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. And then look what happens here. It says, persecution scatters the believers. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. The church is experiencing a setback. The church is experiencing a setback. And, and you know, and everyone in, in that day is thinking, man, this is, this is bad. You know, Jesus empowers. Jesus filled us with the Holy Spirit. Stephen, who was full of the Holy Spirit, was just stoned to death. And we talked a little bit about it last week, that many of the leaders of the early church lost their lives. Was that a setback? Or was it something worth living for? And so many of the, of the leaders of that day, man, they were going through persecution. The church was going through persecution. Now, we hear it say that, you know what, they were scattered throughout, what, these, these areas, Judea and Samaria. They were scattered throughout. And here's the thing I think we need to be reminded. That when persecution comes, we should be on the go anyway. The church should be taking the message of the gospel and maybe there will be persecution to the point of where, you know what, we can't gather like we used to. That could happen here in America. It's not like it's, it's something that can't happen. Now, I think, I think a lot of times we think, well, that'll never happen here. Don't ever say never. And, and the thing is, is if we're scattered, maybe we'll be a louder voice. Maybe we'll go other places. Maybe we'll go into places, you know what, that we would have never gone before. And so it seems like a setback. It might be a setup for the gospel to spread even further. And so here, the church is being persecuted. And, and people are literally losing their lives. Stephen is stoned to death. And so these people are fleeing. And Paul, man, he has got an agenda. Paul wants to stamp this out. Let me read that last part there again. It's in verse 3. But it says, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. 
He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. The church is experiencing a setback. For many of us in our day and age, you know, we think, all right, well, it's, that, that's what's going on here. The church is under attack, and in many ways it is. There, you know, I was, I was reading articles this past week by many of the things that we believe as, as, as a church, and many of the things that we believe as followers of Christ, we would be considered a hate group. Because of what we believe about the Word of God. I, I did a wedding yesterday, and, and you know, the, the whole law in the state of Alabama has been changed as far as weddings. And so what used to, whenever you would do a wedding, you would, you would sign that. They would send it back in to the, uh, to the probate office or whatever. And, and there they would get the, receive their marriage license. But now you just, get, you just get a notary to do it. I don't even have to sign a document anymore. And so is marriage under attack? Absolutely. Is that a setback? Depends on how you look at it. It could be that people begin to look at the real value of marriage because, listen, for years, half the marriages have ended in divorce. Maybe we didn't value them then. Maybe all of a sudden marriage begins to get under attack. Maybe we begin to raise the value of marriage and that we say, you know what, this is something special. This is a covenant before God. This is something that we ought to be going, you know what, let's treat this the way that God treats it rather than the way that man is wanting to treat it. And so is it a setback? I don't know. It could be just a different way of looking at it. Maybe it'll raise the value of what we do when we say, I do. When we say, I will be with you until death separates us. And so maybe it'll have a better impact than what we think. So oftentimes, the church experiences setbacks. Throughout the history of the church, we see setbacks that often look like, you know what, hey, it's done. They've, they've snuffed it out. The Roman emperor, Nero, literally would try to kill all of the Christians. He would have them literally impaled on a stick. He would have them wrapped in pitch or tar, and he would burn them as, as torches in his parties just to let people know, hey, listen, if you're a Christian, you're going to die. But many people saw that as, you know what? These people, are, are they're willing to lay down their life for what they believe. Maybe it's worth living for. So let's look at Saul here. And Saul is this, this character that we see in Scripture that is, He's a religious leader, he's a religious, he's a persecutor of the church, but yet he has this encounter. Saul experiences a setback. So look, let's look at this setback here. This is in Acts as well, Acts chapter 9. It says, meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. I mean, just listen to that statement. He was uttering threats with every breath and he was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest and he requested letters addressed in, to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way. There's the way. He, 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 he found, he found that, and he, he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. And as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The man with Saul stood speechless. For they heard the sound of someone's voice but saw no one. And Saul picked himself up, to, up, up off the ground. But when he opened his eyes, he was blind. And so his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. And he remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over 
to Straight Street to the house of Judas. And when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. How cool is that? Hey, Ananias, I want you to go over there. There's a young man that's praying to me right now. I want you to go over and I want you to talk to him. I mean, how awesome is that? He's praying to me right now. I have shown him in a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, but Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles. Woo! Man, that's good. And to the kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and he found Saul. He laid his hands on him. And he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. And he regained his sight. And he got up and he was baptized. And afterwards, he ate some food and regained his strength. Man, what a powerful scene that is. I don't know if you grasp the gravity of it. But here, literally, this, this man who is persecuting the church, you know, he's got this agenda. You know, he's got permission. He's got letters. He's got whatever he needs to, to accomplish his task. And here's the thing. He thinks he's doing the right thing. And he bumps into Jesus. And Jesus changes everything. And he literally, he says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Or Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he ends up changing his life from this moment forward. We're going to see what seemed like a setback was really a setup. And that statement, that statement, hey, listen, Ananias, I want you to go. There's a guy, he's praying to me right now. I want you to go over and tell him what I want you to tell him. And Ananias, who is completely human, is going, Lord, I don't, I don't know if you know about this guy, but this guy is killing people. And he's taking guys like me. And he's putting them in jail. He's putting them in chains. I'm not sure this is the right thing for me to do. And I, co- I totally get that, don't you? Going, hey man, I don't know if you know. He knows. God knows, right? God knows everything. But he said, hey listen, this is my man. This is my voice. This is the one I, am, I have chosen. And you're sitting there thinking, and it doesn't seem like the likely choice to, to the early church. There's some of you that, you know what, maybe people when they look at you and they go, you know what, he wouldn't have been my first choice. They're not who I thought would be the one to do this. Saul thought his purpose was to stamp out Christianity. Saul thought his purpose was to stamp out Christianity. You know, sometimes... Things don't go as planned, right? You know, I was thinking back this past week about things in my life that didn't go as planned. There were times that felt like setbacks. And maybe there's things in your life that didn't go as planned and maybe they feel like a setback. And here's the thing, maybe you're going through something right now that's not going as planned. I, I know so many stories and I've seen so many different situations where I go, you know what? Didn't go as planned, but God had a plan. There are times, I think, for many of us, we wrestle with, you know, does God have a plan and a purpose for my life? The answer is yes, He does. 
We may not always see it, and sometimes it takes one step after another. Just like Sam going through the waters of baptism, he took a step today. You know, maybe the next step is, you know what, I'm going to begin to do a devotion. I'm going to begin to read God's Word. I'm going to get involved in a life group, whatever that step may be. There may be some of you in here that, you know what, God is moving you. He's wanting you to take that next step. And that next step is towards His plan, His purpose. I remember whenever I was going through high school, you know, I wasn't planning on going to college. That was not on my agenda. And I had a counselor, Ms. McCants, who said, Mike, I want you to take the ACT. I said, I'm not going to college. And she goes, you might want to go one day. I said, I'm not, I'm not going. I'm, I'm just telling you now, I'm not going. And she said, well, what are you planning on doing? I said, well, I'm planning on getting a job at Scott Paper IP. I said, I want a Toyota four-wheel drive truck and a trailer, and I'll be set. I think that's redneck right there as it gets, you know. And, uh, and, and in my mentality, I was, hey, I'd make enough money to be able to live in that trailer, probably get in a good hunting club, have a nice four-wheel drive and whatever guns I wanted to be able to hunt, you know. And I would be set. And she was like, Mike, you might want to set higher goals. I said, no, I'm good. I'm good. And, and so I can remember her talking me into taking the ACT just in case one day I wanted to go to college. And anyway, God changed those plans. And, and so whenever I decided, you know, you know, I feel like, you know, and I'd worked at a bank for years. And so and I was like, you know what, I want to go to college. And God ended up dealing with me about ministry. And so whenever I was going to college, my mentality, though, was I was wanting, I wanted to be a coach. I love coaching. And I love to be around athletics. I love football, basketball, baseball. It doesn't matter. I love being a part of it. And so my, my mentality was, you know what, I'll be a coach. And, uh, and so I was going to school to be a coach. And uh, I, was, I was sharing with my son this past weekend, you know, Jimbo Fisher, who was the coach at Texas A&M. We were in coaching techniques together at Sanford. And uh, the only home run I ever hit in softball, I hit it off of him. And, uh, you know, and, and so he, you know, and so I look back and I think back to the classes we, we went through and how much I loved coaching and being a part of that. And so I've coached, you know, baseball and football and basketball with kids and stuff. But God had a different plan. I remember, in my, you know, being there and going, you know, God, you know, I'll just end up being, because I felt like I was calling me into the ministry. I thought, well, I'll just be a basketball coach and I'll help out at the church kind of as a youth pastor or whatever they need. And then one day God said, Mike, I didn't call you part time. I called you full time. And, and, and so God just kind of changed everything. And, and so there's times that it didn't work out the way I, maybe I wanted it to work out. But you know what? God was setting it up for something different. And instead of just coaching sports, it's coaching people. You know, I get to invest in people's lives. I get to share hope. I get to, you know, talk about how setbacks can become setups. And so I don't know what you're going through. But maybe you're going through something like Saul. You know what? You thought this is what you were going to be. You thought you were going to do this. You thought things were going to go a certain way. You know what? And there was just a different plan. Here's another thing. Saul had his own agenda, agenda interrupted. Sometimes that's a good thing. Saul had his own agenda. You know, and for many of us, we've got a plan. And many of you guys, all you're doing is you're living out your mom and dad's plan. Your mom and dad says, hey, listen, I want you to go to school. I want you to make good grades. I want you to be a doctor or a lawyer, something that makes a lot of money, right? That's pretty much what every parent wants their kid to be. Boy, I hope they're a doctor or a lawyer. And then our kids get there, you know, and they, and they go to school and their kids, like, you know, they don't like blood or maybe they don't like being, you know, they don't like law stuff. And, or maybe they go, you know, and they can't pass the classes. And then mom and dad are like, man, I don't know what they're going to be, but they're not doing what I wanted them to do. Or maybe you wanted them to be an athlete or maybe you wanted to be, you know, something. And, they're, and you're trying to live your dream through them. And they're going, hey, I don't even like football or I don't like whatever. And so the, the plans have to change. But maybe that's a good thing. So maybe instead of your kid growing up to be a doctor or a lawyer, what if they grow up to be a missionary? Or teacher. Or hey, listen, what if, what if they dig ditches? 
I can remember people saying, you know what? Man, for me to be the President of the United States would be stepping down if God has called me to dig ditches. So, Mom and Dad, do you want your kid in the center of God's will, or do you want them to do what you want them to do? Because you know what? God may change the plans. So look at this. Saul, Saul has been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is something that I love here. Saul has been transformed. In an instant, God can change whoever you are. And I hope that maybe today some of you in here, you hear this. But Saul has been transformed. He's not just trying to get better. He's not trying to memorize more scripture. He's not trying to do better things. He's not trying to be a good guy. He is transformed by the power of God and the presence of Jesus Christ in his life. Isn't that awesome? That, that, that's the way it works. It transforms us. And so we are, can be transformed by the power of God and the presence of Christ in our life. It's not by me just being better at things. You know, hey, I'll read more scripture. I'll do these things. We do these things because we love Christ. But the thing is, is we are only saved by our faith in what Christ has done. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. Listen to this. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. Immediately. I mean, the dude has radically changed. This guy went from persecuting the church, trying to kill the believers, and he enjoyed his job. To all of a sudden, he is preaching the gospel. He is talking about the power of, of, of transformation that takes place when you meet Jesus. Not by being religious. He, he was as religious as anybody. But he went from being religious to having a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And it immediately changed him. It immediately changed him. He immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. He's who he says he is. And all who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? They asked. And, and didn't he come here to arrest arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priest? God wants to change what we're known for and what we're known as. God wants to change what we're known as and what we're known for. And so I don't know about you, but you know, here's the thing. Saul was known as the persecutor of the church. Saul was known as the guy who was killing believers. He's known for the one who stood there while everybody, hey, I'll watch your jacket while you go stone Stephen. Hey, listen, put this unbeliever down. Put this guy away. You know, he's spreading lies. He's telling this message called the way. I'll watch you, coach. Y'all go kill him. And so that's what he was known for. And so let me ask you. You know, how many of you guys would like to be known for something different than what you're known for? That may give your life to Christ. Let Jesus change you, transform you, you know, and, and turn you around. I've shared it before. There's times whenever I, I, I even had a lady contact me this week, a girl that I went to school with in elementary school. And she was like, Mike, she goes, I saw where you're a pastor. She goes, that is awesome. You know, and, and I'm sitting there thinking, what does she remember about me? Now, this is elementary school, so I wasn't too bad, I don't think, anyway. But I'm sitting there going, what does she remember about me? Yeah, but she's sitting there going, that's awesome. And maybe she's a believer, I hope she is. And so I told her, I said, man, I met Christ when I was 19 years old, and it changed my life forever. And I've never gotten over it. And so then she started to ask me a few other questions about some of my family and stuff. And But I'm sitting there going, you know what? What does she remember me being like? And so maybe there's some of you in this room that, Maybe there's certain things you're known for. Maybe certain things you're known as. 
You know, maybe you were wild in high school. Maybe you were, you were, you know, were, you were promiscuous in high school. Maybe, maybe you were known for this or you were the class clown or whatever. I saw this past week where a buddy of mine had, uh, that used to go to church here, uh, he had posted, uh, he lives somewhere else in the United States now, but he had posted how he was a class clown and he almost didn't graduate, but he did. And then all that he had accomplished, and he said, because a teacher believed in me. And all of a sudden he began to set goals and he believed, you know, I can do more. And so are you living your life based on what you were known as or what you were known for? Or are you being transformed by the power of the gospel? And, and so here, you know, God wants to change what you're known as and known for. What am I known for now? And, and maybe there's some of you in this room that, you know, whenever you get around your friends, all they can talk about is your past. I'll be honest with you. I've got a couple of friends of mine that I love that are from high school that I don't spend a whole lot of time with them. You know why? Because all they want to talk about is what happened in the past. And what I would rather talk about is what is happening now and where I'm headed. Does that make sense? You ever get around people like that? that all they want to talk about is, hey, all the bad stuff. Then it's almost like they're trying to relive high school. I'm sitting there going like, dude, you're 45, you know, you're 50 years old. Dude, I mean, it's time to start living life now. And too often, and there's some of us, that we, you know, you may be younger but you got friends, and every time you get around them, it always goes there rather than, hey, what is God doing now? So let me ask you a question. Do people see you the same as you've always been? Do they see you the same? You know, and a lot of times we might say, well, that's, that's, a, that's a good thing. And Mike, I mean, I'm consistent, I'm steady, you know, I, I don't, I'm not always up and down. But here's the thing, do people still see you the same? Whenever they look back into high school, you know, and they see you now, they go, you know what? She's never changed. She's still the same. He's never changed. She's still the same. Karen was telling me the other day whenever she went to, her and Billy went to their class reunion. Some dude comes walking in with a case of beer on his shoulder, kind of like he was still in high school. And everybody's looking at him like, dude, have you lost your mind? I mean, he's still living like that. And, and so for them, they would say, you know what? He's just like he was in high school. And so let me ask you, do people look at you and they go, you know what? She's still the same. He's still the same. And as a believer, I'm just telling you, it shouldn't be that way. It ought to be that people go, you know what, man? I can tell that he has been changed and transformed by the power of the gospel and the presence of Christ in his life. He's not the same guy that I once knew. And that's a compliment. That's a compliment. And so we've got to be willing to say, God, I want you to change me. You know, I want to be steady, I want to be consistent, I want to be faithful, I want to be loyal, all those things. But there ought to be the change that comes from being in the power and the presence of Christ. Saul became known as Paul the Apostle. Saul, also known as Paul, now is Paul the Apostle. Some would call him Saint Paul. But he became Paul the Apostle. So Saul went from being known as the persecutor, the killer to being known as the greatest missionary, second only to Christ. He wrote most of the New Testament. He wrote most of the letters that we read. And so so what I love is whenever we look back, we see that this man, man, when he met Christ, it changed him. He didn't just get religious. He already had religion. And that's what I see so often in the church. I see people that have religion. They've grown up in the church. And and I've often asked people, say, man, you know, when did you give your life to Christ? Well, Mike, I've grown up in the church and I want to go, who cares? I mean, I know that sounds like a great thing, but, man, if you've never been saved, if you've never accepted Christ, it doesn't really matter if you've grown up in the church. You've just been around it so much that you may think, you know what, I'm immune to everything. 
I, I, you know, we ought to love the fact that, you know what, the Holy Spirit is still bringing conviction in our lives. And I, now let me just say this. I love seeing young people go through the waters of baptism. Today we had a, a man go through the waters of baptism. He said, you know what, I want to go public. I want everybody to know. And so Sam went public with his faith today. But I love to see a child go through the waters of baptism. They're making that decision not at 19 years old like I did, but early in life. But here's my prayer is that, you know what, they know what they're doing. They understand that, what, that they are being transformed by the power of the gospel, not through baptism, but by their faith in Christ and what he's done on the cross. And therefore, they understand it. They try to live out their faith from, I don't care if it's 8 years old to they're 80 years old, they ought to be being changed and transformed into the image of Christ daily. Every one of us should be that way. Every one of us should say, God, I want to be more like you. Christ, I want to be more like you tomorrow than I am today. And so we should say, God, chip away. What, what does not look like you? Years ago, there was a great uh, sculptor, and he could sculpt horses, men, and, and it, they said it looked like they were they could lick you. They were just alive looking. And someone asked the guy, I "said Man, what do you, how do you how do you create these incredible sculptures of these horses?" He said, "I just chip away everything that doesn't look like a horse." And so, what we that sounds simple, doesn't it? But what we should be asking is, God, will you chip away everything that does not look like Jesus in me? My greed. God, will you chip that away? God, my jealousy. Will you chip that away? God, whatever it might be. You know, my agenda. God, if I need to give up my agenda for your agenda, God, I'm willing to do that. And so Saul became known as the apostle, Paul the apostle. God will often use our past to help someone's future. This is what I love. See, there, there, we, some of us in this room, you know, we look back at our past and we're ashamed of our past and we're embarrassed by our past but here's the thing god can use your past to help someone else's future you know wisdom is learning from someone else's mistakes not having to make the same mistakes over and over and over again right and and, and so today at the end of the service there's an incredible video that's going to be shown and what i love is we've got a, a guy that's at the end of that video that he's going to be challenging you to be a part of something where you know what you're helping people take steps but what i love is you know what he's allowing his past to be used to help people's future there may be some of you in this room that you've gone through a tough time and, you know, and you've, you've, you've been able to survive that, you've been able to overcome that, you've been able to find health and healing. There may be marriages in here that one day they were almost, you were almost to the point of saying, you know what, I'm done, I'm walking out, I am done. I can't take it anymore. But God, he, he saved your marriage and he wants to help, he wants to use you to help others get past that same spot, that rough spot. I think about Trey and Melody Lover and two of my closest friends who, who, you know, had gone through multiple affairs and anyway ended up getting divorced and they were divorced for years. And anyway, God ended up bringing them back together. And he redeemed and restored that marriage and now he uses them to pour into people all over the country. And he has this, they have this incredible ministry of helping people find true marriage, true relationships, true intimacy. And so God will often use our past to help someone's future. And this is what I love about Paul. Who was once Saul. Is if you, if you understand. There's a, in the passage we read earlier. Now, let me flip back over. It says. There's a man that is praying to me. His name is Tar, uh, Saul of Tarsus. He says. I have shown him a vision. Of a man named Ananias. Coming in and laying hands on him. And of course Ananias is a little bit nervous about that. But it says. I've heard many people talk about this, the terrible things. And he's authorized. But the Lord said. Go. For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much 
he must suffer for my name's sake. You know, Paul would spend years in prison writing most of the letters that we call it Galatians and Ephesians and Romans and stuff like that. And so he would spend years in prison, so he did suffer. But here's what I love. Paul, who was once Saul, if you remember, he stood there while these guys were stoning Stephen. And Stephen gave this dissertation, if you will, this defense of the gospel, if you will. And so what Saul heard Stephen saying is what Paul would take before King Agrippa. And many of the times that he would have the opportunity to present the gospel to the leaders of, of, the, of the nation of Rome would be going back to what he had heard as he watched Stephen being stoned. You know how God, see what we thought was a setback was Stephen being stoned and the church being persecuted. But when we look back, it was what God was using. He was using that moment to prepare Paul for whenever he would stand before the, the leaders of the nation to present the same truth, the same gospel to them. And, and so what I love is, is God will often use our past to help someone's future. And, and man, here's, here's what I love, is he took what was happening in the tragedy that was taking place with Stephen, and God uses it to say, you know what, I'm going to put this message in the mouth of Saul, who will become Paul, who will present it to the world, and he will take it not only to the, the, the Gentiles, but he'll also impact the nation of Israel as well. And here's, here's a statement, I love this. I know you guys hear me say this often, but if you're truly saved, you're truly changed. If you're truly saved, you're truly changed. And that often brings up questions and we begin to go, how do I know that I'm, I'm saved? Because there's change taking place. How do I know that I'm truly saved? Because God's word tells us if we, if we put our faith in Christ, we will be saved. It's not a feeling. It's not based on feelings. It's not based on emotions. It's not based on anything. It's based on the truth of God's Word and what Christ has done. But here's what I would say. There should be change taking place within us. And so if you're truly saved, if you've, if, if you've accepted Christ, if you've experienced His precious love, His, 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 His forgiveness, here's the thing, you should be changed and daily, just like we talked about earlier. Look at this last part. Paul made it clear that he had surrendered religion and traditions for a relationship with God. We talked about it earlier. Man, he was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was a religious dude. He, he followed it to, by the letter of the law. He was as good at doing the right thing as any of us will ever be. I don't know if you understand. How many guys memorize Scripture? Anybody here memorize Scripture? Raise your hand if you ever memorize Scripture. Raise it, raise it high, loud, proud. Come on. All right. All right, so here's the thing. Anybody here memorize the whole Bible yet? I don't see anybody. Pharisees would often have all of the Old Testament memorized. Many of them would have it all memorized. You know, we, we, have, we have a copy. They didn't always have a copy. Paul became this incredible missionary that would travel all over the world. He wasn't walking around toting a bunch of scrolls. You know what I'm saying? And, and so what he was doing, he had, it, he, had, he had hidden God's Word in his heart. Now, he didn't know back whenever he was doing that that it was going to be for the gospel he thought it was just to be righteous and to be right with everybody and to know more than somebody else and to be a little bit above everybody else. But instead, he says here, you know what, man, I traded all these traditions. I traded all this religion. I traded all that for the life-changing message of the gospel and a relationship with God. Look at what it says in Galatians 1, 11 through 14. Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. 
I received my message from no human source and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. He had an encounter with Christ. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion. How far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. See, it was about traditions. And some of us, we get caught up in traditions. The church can get caught up in traditions. One of the things that handicapped and literally paralyzed the church for years, there's the old statement, we haven't done it like that before. It's okay. You know, it's okay to do something different, to try something different. You know, if you're, hey, if you're not catching fish with a certain lure or a certain bait, you might want to try something else, right? No, I'll just sit here and keep doing the same thing over and over. So the church has said, you know what? We're going to try things different. And so what Paul is saying here, he said, listen, man, I used to be a certain way, but I have been changed and transformed by the power of the gospel. And it is no longer about traditions and religion, but it is about a relationship with God. And so here's what I love. God took the passion and zeal that was in Paul for traditions and used it for missions. He took the passion that was in this guy. You know, and he said, you know what? It's no longer going to be about traditions. It's going to be about missions. It's going to be about taking the message of the gospel into places that have not heard the gospel before. And so what God does is he takes this guy who's passionate. And this is what I love. You know, a lot of times I think we, we, we see guys that are passionate and they're full of zeal. And, and, and we think, you know, man... That guy, man, if he'll give his life to Christ, God could really use him. And then all of a sudden he gets, he gets saved. And then we often see him want to dumb down and kind of come down and become this meek, you know, pushover. And that's not what I think God wants. God wants to take the way you are and he'll use how he has shaped you and molded you. Just like he did with, with Saul who became Paul. And he wants to use that passion for the kingdom. And too often I think we think, well, you know, I've got to be this, you know, this kind of plastic, kind of do what everybody says, you know. But I think that God wants to bring that fire that is in us for the things that maybe were not of God, for the things that are of God. And so don't feel like that God wants to dumb you down and he wants to kind of bring you back down to a certain point. I remember so often we would talk about, you know, kids getting on fire for Christ. We would go to youth camp when I was a youth pastor and they would give their life to Christ. Man, they're fired up, they're on fire for the Lord or even someone who is a new believer in the church. Man, they're on fire. They're excited. Man, let's go share our faith. Let's go tell people about Christ. And other Christians, other people around be like, oh, he'll come back down sooner or later. He'll settle down. He'll get over it. And see, I love to meet, I love to meet believers that never get over being saved. They, they never get over what Christ has done in their life. They never get over the fact that, you know what, they were on a path that was leading towards hell. That they, they were broken, they were hurting, they were wounded, and the power of God has transformed them and changed them, and they don't get over it. But if anything, they want others to hear about it. Look at what it says in Romans 8, 28, it says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purposes for them. So whatever you've been through, whatever you've gone through, I know there's a lot of you go, Mike, you don't understand what I've done. I don't. I don't even know all that you've done, but God does. And here's the thing, He loves you. And He wants, He wants a relationship with you. And He wants to use you to minister to someone else who is going through what you've gone through. You might think, well, Mike, you just don't understand how bad the decisions I've made. I don't, but God does. And He can forgive your worst sin. What is your worst sin? Any sin. We qualify it. We quantify it. We say, you know what? This is a really bad sin. This is, they're all sin is equal in the eyes of God. And the least sin, whatever you think is the least, is what separates you from him. And it's what we need to confess to him and re- repent of and turn to him. Look at these next steps. A couple of questions to ask yourself. Have you surrendered your life to Christ? 
Have you been changed and transformed by the power of the gospel? Have you been changed and transformed by the power of the gospel? There's a verse, there's a passage in Scripture. You know, and, and I think about, you know, if I've been changed and transformed by the power of the gospel, then I want to be used by God. And I, I literally, if I have, if I have heard the gospel, I've, I, I've accepted it, I've received it, the Bible says that I become a part of the family of God. I become a child of God. You know, Psalms 139 talks about I am created by God, knit together in the secret place. Therefore, I am a creation of God, but whenever I put my faith in Christ, I am adopted into His family, and I become a child of God. But in Psalms 127.4, it says, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children born in one's youth. All right, so we hear that passage, and we're reminded, you know what? You know, for us as parents, whenever you know God gives us a child... They're not to be kept at home. I hope you guys who have dysfunctional homes where you want their kids to live at home forever. That's not God's plan. God's plan is for you to launch them into life. It's to release them into life. To hit the target that God has for us. And, and so, I've got an arrow here today. And I was, I was thinking about this. You know, the thing about a good arrow is you want an arrow that's straight. You want an arrow that has spine. And spine is how much does it bend. And here's, here's what I love about it. You know, most of us say, well, hey, you've got to have a spine. That means you've got to be rigid. No, nope, that's, that's exactly the opposite of what it, it means in an arrow. You've got to be flexible. And see, most of us, you know, if we, if we see a third baseman that can't bend over and he can't pick up, a, he can't get down on a ball, we say, man, he's not much of an athlete. But if you're flexible and you've got agility, so that's an athlete right there. And so we've got to have spine to where we're stiff enough, but yet we're flexible enough to move with God. And what I love about an arrow is, is when we talk about that flex, when you're shooting an arrow, especially with traditional uh, archery equipment, what you have to do is you have to have enough flex to where that arrow bends around that riser. It's still able to hit the target. And so as I read that passage this past week, I kept thinking, you know, back to our, our, our setback or setup. We talked about the bow last week, and the bow is the tension, the tension that it takes place to launch an arrow. And so God has established this tension with the church. He's established this tension with Saul, who would become Paul. He's established it, but he's about to launch Paul. He's about to send him towards a target that is not what Paul thought he would be doing. God had a different plan. And so I wonder, do we consider ourselves an arrow in the hands of the one true God? God to be launched at whatever you want, whatever your goal is, whatever your target is. Are we still kind of trying to maintain our own agenda? Say, God, you know, I just want you to bless what I want. But what Saul did was what he, when he surrendered his life, he became Paul, and he was surrendered completely. Look at what it says here. Have you surrendered your past to Christ? Have you surrendered your past? Some of you guys still living in your past? Some of you guys still beating yourself up because of your past? Some of you guys still want to be in your past? You think back to the good old days? And you, you know what, let me ask you, have you surrendered that to Christ and said, you know what, it's not about my past, it's about today, and it's about what God has in store for me. And then the last question here, have you surrendered your future to Christ? Have you surrendered the agenda? You know, and I don't know exactly what God may want you to do, what, what He wants you to be a part of. But if you are not willing to surrender to what He desires, you're missing out on the best that He has for you. God is a loving Father. He is a forgiving father. He is a, a father who blesses. He is a father who cares. And here's the thing. He wants to give you his best. 
You want to receive his best. And here's the thing. We might think, all right, the best means long life, lots of money, all this stuff. But what Saul ended up giving was his life. What he received was eternal life, a message to the Gentiles, a message to the Israelites, a message called the gospel that would change lives forever. And many of us are here today because of the work that he did. And so here's the thing now. He lost his life. He lost his life doing what God called him to do. God had appointed him to be this messenger. Paul said it was the best. He wrote over and over and over. There's nothing like Jesus. He talked about his past and he said, man, I considered all that dung, dookie, trash, garbage, compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ. He said, man, all that stuff was nothing compared to knowing Christ and making him known. I want to ask you, if you will, just to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to ask you just to be real transparent with yourself. Be real transparent with the God that is moving all around us right now. Have you surrendered your life? Have you surrendered your past? Have you surrendered your future? And see, what, whatever tension you may be going through or dealing with, whatever past, you know, Satan constantly reminds you of, Man, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, we were to say, you know what? That's not my focus anymore. My focus is on living today in such a way that, you know what? God is honored. Christ is honored. I want to ask you, if you would, just to search your heart and say, God, where am I in my relationship with you? Just ask God. Say, God, where am I in my relationship with you? There may be some of you here that you've never gone public with your decision to accept Christ. You need to go public with that. You need to go public with baptism, the way that Sam did today. But there's some of you in this room that maybe you've never even put your faith in Christ at all to begin with. So I want to walk you through a simple, simple prayer. So right where you're at, just say, just, just kind of draw a circle around you. If you're holding somebody's hand, let it go. Let this be about you and your relationship with God. Just say, Jesus... I want to ask you to forgive me for the sins I've committed, no matter what they might be. God, I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, I want to ask you to forgive me of my past. I give it to you. And so, Jesus, I want to quit living the way I've been living. That's repentance, and I want to live for you. I give you the agenda of my life. I give you the direction of my life. I give you everything. You are a boss. You are a leader. You are Lord. I surrender. And so, Jesus, with all the faith that I have, I want to ask you to come into my life, to be my leader to be my Savior, to be my Lord. And so, Jesus, will you save me today? If that is your prayer, and today is the first time you've ever put your faith in Christ, today is the day that you choose to surrender. I want to ask if you will just to raise your hand. Just so I can be praying for you. Anybody in the room? Just raise your hand. Okay. Anybody else? Just raise your hand. So, Mike, I just prayed that prayer. I just prayed that prayer. There's lots of people in this room. You can put your hands down. There's lots of people in this room that I would say are believers. But let me ask you, have you surrendered your, your life, your agenda, your, your future to who Christ is? And are you willing to, to trust Him enough to lead you down a road that will make a difference, not just in your life, but in the lives of everyone you know? You'll become a light in a dark world. You'll become a messenger of hope. You'll become a difference maker.
for the kingdom. Father, I thank you for loving us. Father, I pray that you, Father, just bless the reading of your word today. God, I thank you that you change lives, you transform us, and God, you shape us and mold us to become more and more like Christ. And so, Father, use us this week as a vessel. I pray that every day this week, Lord, we would draw close to you and we would seek to become more and more like Christ. We would treat others around us the same way he would treat them. We would serve them the way that he would serve them. And we would love them the way that he would love them. In Jesus' name.